Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support CanadaLand. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. The kids in the hall was totally gay. All right, technically, they were, they are only 20% gay. But to watch the show when it hit the public airwaves in 1989 on CBC, they were the gayest thing ever on Canadian television. The characters, the situations, the humor, the wigs, the show was aggressively and hilariously queer. You know, today we toss around words like irreverent or subversive to describe any comedian who makes sex jokes. But the kids in the hall were truly without reverence for Canadian manners. Over five seasons, the show mercilessly offended Canadians in the best ways possible. It was artsy and smart and lowbrow and gross. It was not safe. It was punk. And it was exactly what public broadcasting should be. Scott Thompson of The Kids in the Hall will speak with me in a moment. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Evan Thomas, Andrea Calver, Mike Proctor, Corey, 
Brendan, Jake Devine, John Flipkowski, Chloe, and Jacob Schweda. Jacob, why did you decide to be awesome? Because critical journalism is essential to keeping politicians and other powerful people accountable to Canadians. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool, doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is also brought to you by FreshBooks, the painless billing solution for cloud accounting. Usually when I talk about FreshBooks, I talk about how it saves me time every week, how it's so easy and simple to use that it's actually kind of fun. I talk about how it makes your small business look good to clients and you actually get paid quicker. Today I'm going to tell you about something that FreshBooks just announced that makes me feel really good about having them as a sponsor. They have always had this interest in entrepreneurs and small businesses and Canadian businesses being a Canadian business themselves. And what they just announced is this initiative to address a real disparity in Canadian business. I mean, last year, female entrepreneurs started two-thirds of new businesses in this country. But 68% of them did not use outside capital. Only 4% of the venture capital in this country went to these female entrepreneurs. So FreshBooks is involved in an initiative to address that called an act of radical generosity. It involves mentorship and funding for female entrepreneurs. It's just one more reason to go to freshbooks.com slash CanadaLand, where you will be able to try this out for free for 30 days. And if you do sign up for FreshBooks, tell them that CanadaLand sent you and you'll get 10% off. I think you'd be very disappointed if you found that you weren't on a list. Seriously? You'd like, be, who are they looking at if not yeah, me? Yeah, you'd be really pissed off. I know I would be, but I know I'm on one, so I, I'm all right. What do you think got you on? Oh, I know what got me on. <laughs> what got you on the government? My firebombing. You're firebombing? Yeah. I don't know about this. Yeah, I got firebombed by an Islamic fundamentalist group in 2000. That's a great way to start off, isn't it? It's, I, I mean, did. We have yeah. our in. Yeah, I did. Uh, tell me about the time you were firebombed by an Islamic group. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, really? You really want yeah. to hear this? No, let's skip that and talk about <laughs> Yeah, fuck yeah. <laughs> um, well, okay. In 2000. It's not on your Wikipedia page, by the way. Isn't it? I don't, I don't, I don't know. I didn't no, it's not. I don't think it is. No. Um, no, in 2000, I was living in West Hollywood uh-huh. uh, with my boyfriend at the time, Joel Soler. He was a filmmaker. He wanted to make documentaries. So he had this idea to make a documentary about Saddam Hussein. But he wanted to do it in a kind of an e-true Hollywood story kind of a deal. Uh-huh. So anyways, we made this film together. He, he directed it. He went to Iraq. This yeah. is before the world changed. This is 2000. And I remember walking, he, he went there for like a month. He had a lot of trouble. But he came back with all this footage. All about Saddam and his family. The crazy brothers and the son and the wife, Sajida. And all, I know all that family. My cat is named Uday, by the way. And uh, named after the son. But at the time, I just thought he was a hot dictator's son. I didn't realize he would become synonymous with evil. Right. So I had gory two, we, had, we got two black cats at that time. And, and Sajida, we named the little girl after Saddam's wife mm-hmm. and the boy after Saddam's son. But anyways, so we made this movie called Uncle Saddam. And I wrote it because his English wasn't great. Uh-huh. So I did the text of it and I helped him with it. But he, he And I helped produce it. And then it started touring, doing little festival circuit. And then we started getting uh, – he started getting paranoid. And he said that people were watching us and they were – that our phone might be tapped. And I was like, no way. This is the United States of America. That doesn't happen. And then about uh, a week before it happened, it had, just, it had just played, I think, the Vancouver Film Festival. And um, – we were um, – I remember one day I walked out of the house and uh, there was a car parked outside and there was a man in it reading a paper like right out of Get Smart. And he was there in the morning and he was there later in the afternoon and I kept thinking, he can't be watching our house. And it happened a couple times until I thought – and then a few days before it happened that we were on – I was on the phone and I heard this crackling and I heard men talking. Yeah. And – I thought, what the hell's going on? Then it went away. And then I, he started saying, we're, our phone's tapped. These are incompetent spies, by the way. Oh, it is. It's very comic. I mean, it, just because they were following a comic doesn't mean they had to be comic about it. But we were – so anyways, on November the 1st, 2000, um, some group – group of I don't know who they were – came to our home and they filled the – these they have giant garbage cans in L.A. They're like five, five and a half feet tall. They filled with gasoline put them on the front lawn, set them on fire. And then they had buckets of red paint and they splashed the house so it dripped off like blood. And then they put a note in the foyer that said, in the name of Allah the Merciful, burn this satanic film or you will be dead. And they underlined dead just in case we weren't frightened enough. And we woke up to that. That's terrifying. I know it is. And I, it, I to be honest, my life's never really been quite the same since that night. I remember we called the police. They took hours to arrive. The fire department came in the night when we were sleeping, put out the fire, but didn't wake us. So that morning when we called the police, they took hours to arrive. When they finally, the neighbors were all gathering, looking at us. They didn't know. And I remember saying to some neighbors like this, who do you think it is? I remember saying, we think it's an Islamic fundamentalist group. This is 2000. No one really even knew what that meant. Now, I remember the police came and they asked us who we thought might have done this. And that's what we said. And they literally said, what, what's that? Uh-huh. And um, so they didn't really t- treat it very seriously. So I was forced to get in touch with the Canadian consulate to say that, you know, I was a Canadian citizen and I was someone who um, had attacked us. 
and I wanted them. I wanted the police to take it seriously. Yeah. So then I, something happened. I guess someone called, and then the police came back the next day. They said they would watch our house, but I never really. My boyfriend at, went into hiding. He went to France. I didn't see him for six months. It broke us up. And I, I went back to Canada like a couple days later and I bought a condo in a week. I just thought I am not dying in Hollywood. And I remember telling all my, when I first got the apartment, I said to the guy, what's the number one, he goes, what's the number one thing you need? I go, I need to have two exits so that I can escape. If someone comes in the front door, I can get out the back. And luckily I had a window that was right up, right level with the ground that I could jump out my window if someone came in the door. But I was very terrified for a long time. I think now I probably had PTSD for a few years afterwards. Yeah. And I think it kind of explains some of the things that I did in my life then, some of the crazy crazy ways I behaved. Um, but at the time, no one took it seriously. I think a, most people looked at me like, poor Scott. You're first, you're a year early. I was an early adopter of, of terrorism. What crazy things did that make you do in your life when you're referring oh, to? Oh, Lord. You well, well, here's what happened. So after that, I got obsessed with terrorism. Mm-hmm. And um, when we were firebombed, he'd made that film. He was already working on his second film, mm-hmm. which was about Osama bin Laden, which I was also going to write. Mm-hmm. And I became obsessed with him. And this is 2000. So anyways, I, I became obsessed with Taliban. So whenever I'm distressed, I usually turn to art. So I thought I'm going to write a show about terrorism, comedy show about how human beings deal with terrorism, whether it's in the home from your spouse or your father or a moolah or a priest or, do you know what I mean? Or a crazy man in a shack in the States. There's a million ways people terrorize or a rapist in the night. Just terror, how human beings use terror to advance their agenda, really, Mm -hmm. whatever they want done. So, because I realize that in my life, I've had a lot of very violent things that have stalked me as a, ever since I've been very young. And I've been involved in a lot of crazy things like a high school shooting when I was a boy and things like that. So I thought to myself, I've really got to deal with this. Like I've got to figure out what it is. Like am I, do I attract violence? Do you know what I mean? Do I subconsciously run towards it or is it just a coincidence? So I wrote a show. I just started writing a show. Um, I remember I get calling Paul Bellini, my collaborator, and say, I got, I'm going to write a show about terrorism. <laughs> and he's like, well, who cares about that? But So I started writing this show called The Lowest Show on Earth. Uh-huh. And then uh, I, I, I toured it. I, I worked on it for like a year. And then <laughs> this is the best part of all. I can't believe I'm telling this story. But I got a six-week run off-Broadway, New York City, of course, off Broadway, <laughs> and uh, with for my show, and and I I produced it right. I put all my money and yeah. my heart and soul into this. I worked on it for a year. I think I know where this is going. You do. On the September the tenth, my posters went up. Oh, ten thousand of them. And my poster was the the best, the most rock and roll poster ever. And it would have probably either made me a star or sunk me. But it was me with a shaved head looking like I'd been slapped or punched with a giant glob of cum dripping down my face, just dripping off my chin and underneath the lowest show on earth. And then a pair of pants that are as if someone's had their pants ripped off and a pair of feet sticking out as if the guy had been knocked down. Just really, just this really 
rock and roll image. Yeah. Come. I mean, it was, and the, all over, imagine, all over New York. And in 2001. And then the 11th, of course. Because my joke in my sh- the show I did after was that I remember turning on the TV and seeing America, New Yorkers running like crazy. And I thought, oh, my God, they've seen the poster. So on the 11th, of course, when the towers came down, um, you know, I was on my way to New York. I was going to leave for New York the next day. Yeah. And I remember it happening so vividly, turning the TV on and seeing the plane going in. And thinking I was watching a movie and then, you know, the reporters coming on and realizing that it was real. And I remember thinking, it's him. I know it's him. You, you, I knew it was was Bin Laden. Absolutely. The instant it happened, I knew it was him. And it was. So when that happened, they pulled the plug on my show. Yeah. They said first, it, first, first, it's hard to do because nobody cares, and then you can't do it because nobody can joke about that anymore. That's right. Remember back then, you comedy is not allowed to talk about these sorts of things. Irony is dead. Yeah, I guess they're being ironic. Said that. People they said actually irony said is dead. that. Yeah, they actually said that there are things that we will never be able to talk about again. What horseshit! So that threw me into a real uh, meltdown. I mean, I, I think I, I think. My PTSD at that point morphed into a, a full-fledged nervous breakdown because uh-huh. I realized that I had that I, w- I was writing about all this. I mean, in my monologue, it was Osama bin Laden, the Taliban, Buddy Cole disguised as a woman with a burqa, Fariza Shaloub, buying anthrax. He was looking for anthrax because he'd heard that it smelled pretty. I mean, I don't even know what this, how I get these things. I would put you on my list in a second. Well, of course. I mean. So you see, after that, yeah. the FBI came into our lives. No, they didn't. They did so. Not me. They, they brought him in over and over again. Who's him? Joel. Right. Who at this point you're. We're not together, but we're friends and we're talking. Right. But, and then, you know, um, I, but I kind of went crazy. I realized when I went back to L.A., he told me that my phone was tapped again. Yeah. I got extremely paranoid. For a number of years, I would never talk about anything serious on the phone. Uh-huh. Like nothing. Not, like nothing. I would just go, we'll discuss this in, in private. And, you know, now I'm over it. I don't care what people think now or what they hear. You know, it's funny. We laugh at the idea like there's things you can't talk about anymore. And yet you think about it. There are tons of things that you talked about. That you can't talk about anymore. What, just now? No, that, that like, okay, so I, you know, was 11 when Kids in the Hall right. first came on the air. Right. And I think about some of the material on that show right. on CBC, on public broadcasting, mm-hmm. that you absolutely can't touch now. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I don't know how we did it. We moved backwards. In some ways, yes. Absolutely. I mean, the smothering of, of free speech is a terrible thing going on yeah. in the West right now. It's a weird one to get your head around because of the internet and because there's a thousand cable stations and there's so much graphic material of every kind mm-hmm. and pornography's mainstream and everybody's saying everything. You're like, okay, this has been going in one direction, mm-hmm. you know, towards mm-hmm. more expression. Right. And But then the mainstream discourse, and the mainstream is less powerful than it ever was. Absolutely. But it's more restrictive mm-hmm. than it was at least then. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, like, running faggot on Kids in the Hall? You couldn't, you, you can't even say faggot anymore. You can still say running for now. <laughs> you can still say running, people. It's not the R word yet. That was, like, an important, uh, running faggot. And then there was the other one. There was the other one where you did a monologue. You were, like, an important person in my head, in my mind oh, as fag-o. a kid. Are you talking about faggot? Faggo. Like, yeah. I understood the adult world through comedy as a kid, right? So, yeah. you know, 
queers to me were a punchline. Absolutely, they were absolutely. Where first of all, you were all, like, I went to you know schools where you were told you know like civil rights were a big thing we were taught, and and you know colorblind theory of of racial politics. Never did it. No touch. Homosexuality, and it was no. totally okay to call people fat. Absolutely, it was not just okay; it was encouraged. Yeah, adults would look the other way. Was, Absolutely, and, and so in the movies where I'm getting cues about adult life, it's like I'm, I'm learning about adult life from Police Academy, and in Police Academy, they send the guys to the gay bar. Yeah, and there's some kind of a wink, wink, nudge, nudge that they're all going to get raped or something. Oh god, there were tons and tons of movies like that. And the joke is usually if if there is actually a homosexual character, it's that he is a homosexual is the joke. Right, and That's then right. you're standing there. Doing a monologue, why do people hate faggots? Yeah. And I always identify with the comic, uh-huh. you know, and you're kind of forcing me to identify with like, and think about, oh, gay people are people. people. Like, I, it's, it's so silly to talk yeah. about it this way, but that actually but was a- an original thought you introduced to my head. Oh, that's nice. They're people who know that people hate them mm-hmm. and don't like it and can still have a sense of humor about it and mm-hmm. try to figure it out. Yeah. And, the, and the problem is the T at the end of faggot. So if we call them faggots, everything will be okay. That's, that's right. That was brilliant. And you can't, you can't do that right now. You couldn't do it. No, you can't do that. Uh, although people would say, oh, that's because it's been won. But that's not the reason you can't do it. Uh-huh. The reason isn't because the, the war has been won. It hasn't been won. There's the skirmishes in the West are dying down, but the war is raging all over the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not the reason why you can't say faggot. The reason you can't say faggot is because they're trying to protect faggots, <laughs> which is ridiculous because the people that are trying to protect faggots are usually not. Yeah. They're usually like business people who are looking at the bottom line. And they know that if you use that word, that will get them in trouble and that will drive away advertisers and blah, 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 blah. Isn't and that, I think it's nonsense. And I think when we, when we said you can't say the N word, that was the beginning of the end. Uh-huh. And now look at it's it's mushroomed into this horrible flower of, you know, repression. Is that true that it's just sort of a straight corporate mainstream? I mean, there no, is, not, no, not there totally. is a voice within. No, it's not totally. It's also politics that's yeah, trying to shut down. Absolutely. You're right. And it, it's not that simple. Yeah. It's actually the far left who think that if you eliminate these words, that will mean somehow the power behind them will disappear. I disagree completely. I think that when you do that, what's going on below will just get more power. We need to let things out and express them. Mm-hmm. And, and if you keep them inside, they will explode one day. I think that that urge to suppress is really bad. Yeah. I do. And I do. We've discussed this before. I do think it is coming more from the left, the hard left. Are you are you like uh, do you fighting battles with the with the hard left these days? I mean, I, well, I, I, there, there is sort of like a traditional. I mean, it feels like no, a, it's a always 90s been battle. Like, the, the, always been like that. The anti PC. Because I'm a comedian. Yeah. And you know, a comedian. I was never an activist. When I I did what I did to I wanted to be funny. Certainly, I wanted to change things. So yeah. I guess that does make me an activist in some ways. But activism, pure activism, is so. Humorless. Yeah, I, I I can't stand those people. And comedy has to kind of do it by yeah, accident. So, yes, and I don't want to feel anybody's agenda. There's things that I did back then that I wouldn't do now. I'm all, almost kind of embarrassed by them. Like what? Because that you can feel my agenda. Which ones? Which which? Sketches? Well, there's a piece, a Buddy Cole monologue called "Queer Nation," and people really love it, and I really love it. But there's one moment in it that I consider a misstep. 
uh, it's about Sam Kinison and Eddie Murphy and all the super homophobes yeah. that were being lauded by society, but just shitting on That's fags. it too. Before I heard your stuff, comedy taught me that it was okay. When you watch those Eddie Murphy specials. It's shocking yeah. what he says. Yeah. It's shocking. And it's people don't really hold him to us. It. Like, look at look what he's saying. I mean, it's gross. Yeah, I so, think I remember those routines word for word. I studied that stuff. So it, yeah, I mean, it's so. Anyways, that was my thing. So it was Buddy Cole doing this piece about uh, called Queer Nation, and I think it was right around the time when Sam Kinison had been. He was supposed to be on Saturday Night Live, and there was a huge controversy over it, and Eddie Murphy had been saying faggot everywhere. And So anyways, I wrote this piece, and in, in the piece, Buddy Cole suddenly go, says something like, he's not the new Lenny Bruce. I am. Yeah. And even, the nose. even though if I felt that, you shouldn't say it. Yeah. And so I, that makes me embarrassed. Yeah. It's funny how, like, it's the death of comedy to take it head on, and yet— Comedy seems to be this conduit through which these politics and activism, like, you look at it now and Cosby Mm -hmm. and that coming to light, like, not dozens of women saying for years that this is going on. It is But it was a Hannibal Buress routine. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And you wouldn't call Hannibal Buress an activist. Yeah. You know? No, actually, what he said was brilliant. Like, it was just so— Just— Tossed it off. Just tossed it off. I mean, and he wasn't the first person that had tossed that off on stage, but for some reason, got on YouTube. It got it got on YouTube, and it was the right time. Yeah, and, and it is kind of crazy that he it went that long with people not listening. And now this this Amy Schumer thing, where the guy goes and kills what's that? Oh, that the yeah, misogynist comes to a, oh, yeah. uh, Amy Schumer train wreck screening mm-hmm. and, and shoots like like it's her politics, and she's being made to answer for her racial depictions. I'm just oh. a comic. I'm just a comic. Yeah, John Stewart. I'm just a comic. Like right. there's this thing. I get why comics have to protect that territory. Uh-huh. I'm not an activist. I'm not giving you the news. I'm not a journalist. Like, don't take me seriously. Right. But but you, you you know that it's serious, right? Of course it is. Yeah, of course it. Of course, Amy Schumer has a, a, an agenda. Yeah, I mean, I think she's brilliant. I mean, but it's true. When I do sense a comedian's agenda, it turns me off. Yeah, it just turns me off because I really have come to believe that comedy is the greatest weapon that I have in my arsenal, and if I can make people laugh, then I've won. And if people laugh, regardless of the joke, regardless if you're uncomfortable with it, there's got to be some truth to it or they wouldn't have laughed. There's got to be something that you need to talk about. Yeah. And so when people do laugh at it, even if you're uncomfortable with why, you still have to acknowledge that, that, that they unearthed something. And you need to look at that because comedians bring things out of the dark, well, some comedians, into the light, and they force society to look at it. What the hell happened? I mean, talking to you about this now, you know, I can situate what you guys did in the 90s with what's happening on the vanguard of these really aggressive comedians who are pushing forward, like, not just comedy, but, like, the public conversation about the most important stuff going on in the world. And I can situate kids in the hall within that lineage. And then I look at, like, Canadian comedy TV now, and it's, like, Mr. D or whatever the Mm -hmm. hell. Like, it's completely defanged. I mean— Comedy has definitely— Become Comedy, defanged. I mean, in Canada, it's really gotten defanged. What what happened? What, I mean, what happened to you guys? I know, because it's not like we weren't successful. It was probably the most successful, <laughs> Cana- since SCTV, the most successful sketch. Everybody in that troupe has gone on to do interesting things and have their own careers and, and all of that. And yet, 
within the Canadian context of what happened to kids in the hall, I talked to Mark McKinney about this as well. Uh-huh. It's almost like it never happened. Wait, Mark was on this show? Mark was on the show. Oh, see, Jesse, I'm sorry, but I was promised that I'd be the first kids in the hall. You don't want to be the first. <laughs> no, you're it's right. It's not good to You're be right. First. Okay, good. I'm second. I, I, third's where the money is. But anyways. <laughs> We'll give that to Dave because apparently he needs it. He does. So what did Mark say was the reason? Oh, I don't know. How, I think that because Mark – well, I don't want to say – Mark still works within yeah. the field. <laughs> I tried to get it out of him. I know I tried to get Mark to talk. You're saying, Scott, you might tell me yeah. because you know that you'll never be back on CBC. <laughs> Thank you. You said it so <laughs> yeah, I don't have to. That's kind of right. true. No, not just CBC. I just want to know – Or back anywhere in the there Canadian There we go. That you'll ever work again is my point. Yeah. <laughs> no, what happened – like you guys should be – for my money, like this, I brought this up with Mark. Comedy is something the Canadians do well, especially yeah. sketch comedy. It's cheap to produce. Mm-hmm. You guys got on the air because somebody happened to see you. I don't know at the Rivoli or something, and and also because Lauren Michaels. But why haven't they hired each of you to just go around the country and find the next great sketch you, troupe you. and develop a show? And and just like that, you you should that should be your job I for know. life. Uh, I know it's a it, comedy network at the CBC. Believe me, many many years I've been saying, why the hell do they not want us? Like if we were English, like if we were Jennifer Saunders and people like that, You'd be and Simon Pegg, we'd have we'd be saying, what do you want to do next? Yeah, that never happened to us. When we finished here, basically the attitude was, you've had your time, now get the hell out. Why? Because. Well, I don't know why. I think it's because maybe they think that, well, Canada's a small place. There's not that many – there's not much room. You've hit the ceiling. Now get the hell out so we can give someone else a chance. But they didn't. Yeah. That's the problem. Th- th- I can't think of like – what was the next CBC sketch comedy show? They played around with like uh, – I, I don't know. Um, was Codco- Sketch comedy? <laughs> yeah. Codco was us. Same time. Codco was the same time. Mm-hmm. 22 minutes would have been – that would have been 22 minutes. It's so weird that they stopped doing that as a format because like, yeah. they've never done sitcoms well. Never. But we've done sketch comedy very well. Yeah. And so – and then we – But they're doing sketch comedy again now. There's Sunny Side. Uh-huh. And what else is there? <laughs> there's something else. I know there's something else. <laughs> it's on the web. Yeah. And then, I mean, you know, I, again, it's not to denigrate. Like, I mean, you went on to, you know, be a part of Larry Sanders, which is like that was first. That was the first yeah, sitcom with the one camera style that became the, the modern way to yeah. do a sitcom. yeah. And yet still, it's, it, they weren't begging me to do anything. Yeah. I, I really believe that the, uh, you know, Canadian television is, has become extremely uh, conservative. Um, I don't mean conservative, conservative, large C. I just mean conservative, small C. Yeah. Does that make sense? Conservative, like, let's do things that have already been done. Let's yeah. do things that won't yeah, get us in trouble. And also afraid. You know, they, they don't, they're afraid. And Canadians don't really seem to care. So they don't really seem to care if all the networks do is buy American programming and dress it up and give it a couple of Canadian ads. Yeah. Oh, Sharper's Drug Mart ad. Oh, that must mean it's a Canadian show. Um, but I, I, don't, I don't think they care. And um, so, I mean, I, I just don't – I think the CBC – I think for me, like, I mean, I would have loved to – I've been doing a podcast for years and I would have loved to have had like a radio show. But there's no way they're going to touch someone like me. My, my opinions are, don't fall into line with their – you know, whatever that is, that yeah. mealy-mouthed kind of hard left <laughs> monotone voice. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and it's just boring. It's yeah. boring. And I'm not, I keep saying hard left. I'm not a hard writer. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a centrist. That's, I, I like to ride the middle. I think I do. And, um, but when I see abuse, it doesn't, I don't care where it comes from. Yeah. All anybody on the extreme on the is to me the enemy. 
Huh. Well, if it's like an extreme right or extreme left, they're kind of the same. They kind of are the same. No, I, I – They have I, the same impulses. I, I've heard that and I, I – I, you know, I, you, you can certainly point to a, all kinds of examples from either side of it. Yes, you can. It's just interesting to me to kind of think of – like where do you separate the hard left from Canadian mainstream politics and Canadian mainstream discussion? Because, you know, when we talk about what's on TV or what's right. on the radio, you're not talking about the extreme left. Well uh, – like maybe some of those values have become I don't know everything. Just little house in the prairie. Think about that. I mean, what a little 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 mosque on the prairie. What did I say? Little house. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Little house was genius. Well, no, let's let's uh, let's well, have uh, I mean, twenty minutes on little so, house. Michael Landon. They the, had that. They had such an amazing topic to address, but they were so timid about it, about offending anyone, that the comedy was so soft. Oh, it was insipid, but they, insipid. it was a huge splash on the basis of a killer title. Yeah, that's, You know what I mean? That's it. And they were really trying to do good, but you don't do good. Yeah. You do comedy. You know, like, you know, like oh, we're going to try to make Muslims look like everybody else. And of course they're everybody else, but you can't iron out the differences Yeah, and the spiky parts. Like with gay people, you know, like at the time when I was doing my stuff, people, you're going to make the people look, gays look bad. If you talk about the darkness, you talk about the, uh, the dysfunction, right? You're going to make us look bad. But you have, to, you have to talk about those things. Also, that's where the funny is. Yeah. You can't deny these things are, are around, but then you can discuss why they are happening. Yeah. Why this happens. Right? You can't get to the heart of things, the root of the problem, unless you ha- look at the problem. So yeah, This is such like pie-in-the-sky idealistic stuff until I think about what you actually put on the air. And I think about like – like it's so weird. Buddy Cole, to many people, like a completely stereotypical Oh, character. God. Gay people hated him. And then, Lots. you know, these sketches where like Mark was playing this like gay vampire who was hitting on you and you were this hoser. <laughs> yeah. Being seduced. Oh, yeah. Or then he just seduced. Yeah. He's, he's getting him drunk enough so he can blow him. Date rape. You know? Yeah, like that's not then, like call the, seduced. The, the Hollywood celebrity who died of AIDS, but like his corpse goes like okay, the best it's, it's pneumonia. Cancer. Cancer. It's cancer. Like it was dark. Didn't allow that. It was stereotypical stuff. It was dark. but And yet it was... It, it was what you're describing. It was like, oh, this is ex- like explaining to me and introducing me to, the, to a whole. Like, am I supposed to? Was I supposed to pretend that HIV was a problem for straight people? What bullshit! I don't live in West Africa. Yeah. Okay. It was nonsense. I, I knew it was bullshit from the beginning. That the whole idea that HIV was going to infect all these young heterosexual teenagers was nonsense. It was cooked up. Yeah. By my people so that people would care. Right. And my belief was, no, I don't need to pretend that I'm a, a 17-year-old straight teen. Yeah. I'm a 30-year-old faggot, and I still deserve to live. I don't have to – I'm not going to pretend. I'm not going to say that my life's not as worthwhile. Yeah. And that's the difference. So I was always against that. I was like, no, AIDS is a gay disease. In North America, it's primarily gay men, people that do AH intravenous drugs. Yeah. And you know what I mean? And you could not have said that, but you, but for in a comedy sketch. Because otherwise I'm right. watching. I couldn't just say that, but I could do it in a comedy yeah. sketch. Otherwise I'm watching Degrassi where like half of the male population of this high school are, are guys with AIDS for some reason. I mean, and I can well, it's, it's a lie. It's, it's a, a public lie. service message. It's a lie. And people, it's a lie to advance a, a good. Yeah. But it's still a lie. I'm not a politician. I'm a comic. I would even say at times, occasionally an artist. So an artist, you can't be you. You serve your muse. She's a bitch. Yeah. 
You know what I mean? And you can't. I, that's how I am. So I just went no. And so a lot of gays, a lot of the gay people were not happy, and the gay leadership not happy with me. Because I refuse to go along. When I go to an awards show, they try to put put a, a red ribbon on me. I go, ah, that clashes. Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean? I'm not wearing a red ribbon. I'm a gay man. I don't need to be reminded of AIDS. You wear them. Yeah. But right. I'm not. No, you're not putting a fucking ribbon on me. Yeah. It's not my prom. What are you doing here? What are you I'm doing right here? I'm doing Canada land. What are you doing in Canada? Like you, you. I feel like there is more recognition for you guys, and and you, you in know the states. The, well, at least amongst the comedy. Comedy knows. I am going back. Comedy knows who the kids in the hall are. They do. Like you guys are revered. Yeah. And you've worked extensively in Hollywood. And I look at Hollywood, all the, the people that better. dominate the American comedy industry. I know all of them. Yeah. I've, I've done sets with all of them. I know some of their darkest secrets. And I'm thinking, what am I fucking doing here? Except not getting blown up. Is- well, that's what that's what drove me back the first time. Yeah. Then I went back. And then the second time I came back in 2009 was because I had cancer. So that's what – healthcare. Yeah. Is what drove me back the second time. And, and then I got better. And then I got Hannibal. Yeah. And Hannibal was shot here. And that's what's kept me here the last three years. That you're on that show. Yes, and now Hannibal's canceled. So now... Sorry to hear that. Yeah, I am too. Yeah. Um, very much so. I loved it. So... Okay. I will. Although I do have a... I just got a great job. I don't know how much I can talk about it yet, but... How much can you talk about it? Well, I, I got a great part in a, in a new Canadian series, and I think it's wonderful. It is funny, and it's sad, and, and the character I have is a real character. I'm so honored to be do I can't believe that I get to do this guy and he's I'm not gonna I can't say that no more I can't say anymore <laughs> but I just found out so I'm pretty happy uh, I'm I'm, uh, I'm happy if it keeps you around here yeah well it'll keep me around till September okay <laughs> and then because I'm making plans to go back yeah because uh, I miss it I miss showbiz yeah real showbiz Canadian showbiz the pro one of the problem well there's so many problems first of all there aren't that many English-speaking Canadians we live next door to the the elephant that's constantly braying mm-hmm. and um, a lot of the money goes, well, CBC, I mean, too much goes to the French side, let's be honest. And they don't really need it anymore, but they keep working our guilt yeah. as if we're, you know what I mean? As if English people are still holding the French back. It's hilarious. I try to in my spare time. Yeah, you know, I don't have enough spare time for that. So anyways. Um, Having lived there for 10 years, I admire how, they even have a show. They had a CBC show about a family that built the system in every way they could. And it's, it's an understood joke. They've got the only functioning culture industry. Yeah. But and they get money as if they're in trouble. I don't blame them. Here's the thing. We're the ones in trouble. It's the Anglos that are in trouble. Yeah. I believe it's comp- they should reverse. All that money that goes to Quebec should be going to us. They don't need it anymore. They don't need it at all. We're the ones that are fucked. We're the ones that are wallow- that are floundering. Yeah. And I look at this young generation of Canadian Culturally, comics, I think I And agree. culturally, we are floundering. Yeah. And we're the ones that need it. And yet we just can't get out of that old paradigm. Yeah. We just can't admit that the French are okay. They're okay. We're fucked. That's my belief. Canada's too fair. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. Like you know that kind of socialist blanket that lies over everything. Uh, you know, tamping down all the edges and the spikes. Right. To make sure everybody's equal. You've had your turn. Move on. It's not good for art. Showbiz is sorry. 
Sorry. The best person wins That's if it's right. you know if if you're yeah. if you're putting and asses in seats, it's, you get another show. Nothing democratic about it. Yeah. And there shouldn't be. Yeah. It's wrong. It's wrong to be. You can't. It, you're 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 basically um you're pandering and you're 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 patronizing people. You know, like you're you're someone's not talented. Like an you know an Americans go fuck off, honey. You don't got it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Get the hell out. Here we go. Well, maybe if we if we gave them three seasons, right? They might get it. No, they're <laughs> never gonna get it. Get behind the scenes. You yeah. shouldn't be on camera. Yeah, Americans just sort of like, and that's what I love about showbiz. It's very is that you call it a meritocracy? Yeah, yeah. It's I guess not so. democracy. Yeah, uh, and it shouldn't be. A free market system for, serves the art not. Always wonderfully, yeah. but better than some kind of mandated policy-driven. <laughs> and yet, this poor CBC doesn't get enough money from the government. You know, they've been gutted. Yeah, I understand that. This is true, but you know, but they got it. Like, it's hard to back them. I know they got it. Like supporters, I, I consider myself a supporter, but I can't like I can't wave the flag because where like, they are right now, it's hard. You know, it's like you got to you got to show something. You got to say this is what we do, and if we had more money, we could do more of it. And you know, it's like well, like Shit's Creek, for example. I think it's really funny. I love watching it, but I will watch. My only purview is I go, why can't they just say it's set in Canada? That's a problem. Like, come on. There's also a it's safety. embarrassing. I know there's a contradiction in this, but I, I also feel like there's this weird, like, well, it's Eugene Levy and Catherine. Right. If, 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 if people like that want to do a show, they can do a show. We'll right. let them and they can put their kids on. Yeah. And it's it's not the meritocracy. No, that's not. You know, which is, I know it's a contradiction from what we were saying earlier. Like, you've had your turn, move on. But if you're anointed by America, you can have a turn in Canada in perpetuity. You know, if, if you're. Unless you're me. And you gotta go get an American Pie role. You gotta. You I gotta get a huge role. Yeah. yeah. Th- then you're set. Yeah. I've always mine have always they just been not quite there. Yeah. You know. But you know, I, I guess if, if you'd the, gotten the Will and Grace job, then you could you, you'd have been. Oh, I have a story there. I can't tell it. That's death. Come on. That's not even fair. Well, I was I was up for it. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't. I, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't like. I I, I didn't. Uh, I refused to audition for it. You passed. I did. You passed. Well, I didn't. I didn't. They didn't offer it to me or anything. Right. I just at that time you, I you, was, you, you could have auditioned for. the I Jack was naive, character. and I believed that I would be able to have a normal career. I, at that time, I thought, oh, I'm going to be able to do anything I want. You didn't want to be the the. Sassy I didn't want to be the gay guy anymore. Sometimes I go, if I'd stayed in the closet, and I'd gone a more traditional route, I think I would have been very, very successful. Right, and I would have had movies and TV, and then you'd be a, a, a grown, a like a middle-aged man in the closet. That's right. right, and then it would have all come apart in a terrible scandal. Yeah, with cocaine and hustlers, and do you know what I mean? And, yeah, and it would have been awful and horrible. So is that your regret? And I would, yeah. and so yeah, that's the regret. Because God, I always wanted a giant scandal, <laughs> and I think I would. It would have been very, very messy. Yeah. So I, you can't regret. I mean, yeah, I would have loved to had that, but. I wouldn't be me. And I remember Lorne Lorne Michaels said to me, he predicted it. He said from the very beginning, you know, when we – just before we started shooting our our pilot, Lorne sat me down and he wanted to talk to me about, you know, being open, being gay. Yeah. And he said, you know, you still have a chance. You don't have to. He said, not that you shouldn't, but if you do, then it's going to affect your career. And if you don't, you'll have a wonderful career. And I know he was telling me the truth. 
That sounds like he was operating purely out of benevolence and trying he was. to like he was basically be saying, the mentor that he is. This to, is the way you are, and if you do the, continue this way, your career will be severely truncated. Yeah, but and because he said you have an awful lot of talent, and um, but I said to him, I, "There's Lauren, I can't." First of all, you have to remember the eighties. As a gay man, like with what I what we were going through, I uh, I felt personally. I had to. Like, my soul could not. I could not. I could not hide. Well, all around me, my brothers were dying. I couldn't do that. I thought, no, I have a, I have a, a, a moral responsibility. That is an incredible conversation. I mean, you it and Michael's discussing whether or not Scott Thompson should be gay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, yeah, it was pretty cool. And, but I said, I got to do what I got to do. And he was, he respected it. Yeah. He didn't put me on Saturday Night Live. Because he, he knew it would be a, a, a huge controversy. And he tried it a few years before. Who did he try it with? Terry Sweeney. Uh-huh. He is, who has been forgotten. I, I don't even know that name. Yeah. In like 86, I think, 86, 87. I can't remember, 85. Height of the epidemic. I mean, it was just – he hired he, Terry uh, an Sweeney. An out gay – Gay man, like a. And did a, they do? Did they do material? Did, was it on the show? They tried to, but it was. Oh, that's to their disastrous. credit, anyhow. Disastrous. Yeah. I mean, crickets. Every time he'd perform, people uh-huh. were. He played Nancy Reagan. That was his thing, and in drag, and people, you could just hear the assholes closing. People were mortified. Uh-huh. And there was one scene. Excuse me. They were doing a Rock Hudson thing, and they and and they had to kiss. Whatever. It became a huge to do. But people don't talk about it. They pretend it didn't happen, but I, I really remember it. It was a real lesson to me. Like I watched what Terry Sweeney went through, uh-huh. and it was hell, hell. And um, it, I, I don't even know if he lasted this season. Yeah. And I think Lauren after that went, I can't, I'll never do that again. Some things do change though, huh? I mean that – Absolutely. To see in our lifetime, that changed just so rapidly. It's unbelievable. Even just like being on stage, I don't f- – when I would – I remember when I would do Conan, I used to be a real regular on Conan. I, I'd go all the time. And every time I would, they would bring the censor in. Literally, they would bring the censor to stand there off camera and watch me uh-huh. as if that would stop me. And, and that's just a re- – because unbe- my, my mandate, I thought, I'm going to let the world know who I am so that I can – be a real comic, a real performer, a real artist. Yeah. I'm not going to – I just have to be who I am. I want young people to look at me and go, oh, that's just not a gay guy that I sympathize with because there's nothing less sexy than that. Like, oh. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like that's for YouTube cat videos. Yeah. Look at how cute that cat won't let her, her master sleep. Like for me, that, that was – I just thought I want young teenagers like you to go, wow, that's – Scott Thompson rocks. Yeah. That's what I wanted. I knew, or I, I suspected that that would do more for what I wanted and for, you know, my gr- gay men at the time than any, uh, any amount of marches or placards or screaming. So that, that was the way I went. And I think in Canada, I think the kids in the hall did an awful lot to heal the rift between gay men and straight men, particularly. Men having to accept gay men as men. Yeah. 
Well, that's also part of it. Is not that like where men, you know, the, the the vision, the version of gay men that has become mainstream is a very different idea of the gay man than what you put forth on. on well, it's true. So I I didn't I I lost. Yeah, because I was certainly not crafting a world where gay men got married and adopted children well, both, and both aped the, like, heterosexual yeah. values. Well, aped heterosexual values and were also just sort of like uh, defanged and not dangerous yeah. in any way. Like, So it's one thing that it's like, yeah, like the rise of a consumer class, right, was a big part of it. But then just like, yeah, like it's everybody can kind of sympathize and empathize just like get a, get a kick out of Jack on Will and Grace. Mm-hmm. But you were like a lot but more they would, alpha, but they would, a lot more yeah, of a macho. Kind of. Yeah, that's that, I've been told that before. And and I'm unevolved enough to find that a compliment. <laughs> yes, um, but they the audience would turn away if they saw Jack disappearing into the bathroom to douche before a session of anal sex. Right. Yeah. Right. Or or saying, "Where are my poppers?" Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. They can. Society still cannot handle male on male sexuality. Right. So in that way, part of the deal that we've done is we have had to be, as you said, defanged yeah. um, to be accepted. So I think the next step is people are going to have to accept the truth about like, sexuality. Because people say, oh, you know, the recent American gay marriage um, decision, which we did what, 10 years ago. People say, oh, love wins. That's not really true. Uh, it, yeah, it's actually sex wins. Because I can love anyone I want. I've always been able to love anyone I want. But I have not been able to have sex with anyone I want. So in, in some ways, people can pretend that it's all about love and chaste love, but it's really about society <laughs> Society accepting sodomy. Uh-huh. You got, that's right. saying, okay. It's about butt sex. Yes. It's about butt sex. For lesbians, it's a different thing. Right. But for gay men... It's about butt sex. You can take, you can dance around it and dress it up, but that's really what it is. So it's not love wins. It's hashtag sex wins. And, and I think that, um, I don't know, the, um, you know, and people, oh, that's all what marriage is about. No, but marriages should start with sex. Otherwise, it's just a really deep friendship, isn't it? It has to, there has to be sex. One would hope, yeah. Otherwise, it's just a, an arrangement. Yeah. And there's a million ways to get married. But, you know, I mean, people love to see two 85-year-old homosexuals who have been waiting to be married their whole life. And they love that because they know, well, at least they're not fucking anymore. But they don't really want to see two, you know what I mean? Yeah. 28-year-old guys buffed. Yeah. Sucking face. Yeah. They, yeah that, that's still verboten. It, male on male sexuality really pushes buttons. That was your Canada Land Show. I hope you liked it. You can email me always at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read them all. I respond when I can. I'm on Twitter at Jesse Brown. The show's website is canadalandshow.com and the crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. New episode of Canada Land Commons on Tuesday. Shortcuts is on this week. It'll be up on Thursday. I make this show with Katie Jensen. If you like Canada Land, please support it. Even on a budget, 
Quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.